0: I didn't take off a weekend ever. Mm. I barely went on vacation. I worked every single weekend, every single night. At one point I was working 3 p.m. to 4 5 a.m. for years. Right. I was missing friends' weddings. I was missing birthdays. I was missing this, missing that. I never did stuff. But I. it just felt right. And it, and it wasn't something that I regretted. I was like, I see the light at the end of the tunnel with this lifestyle. I like it. I love it. I'm enamored by it. Mm -hmm. I don't mind working like this, but it was a sacrifice because now that I look back at it, I miss so many things that I wanted to do with my friends that they probably have animosity towards me or stuff like this, where it was like, they didn't understand it at the time. Mm -hmm. Like you're working on a weekend again. Yeah, Yeah.
1: We are joined today by a very special guest, yeah. Brian Matza, which <laughs> this white boy from West Texas, that, that's a hard name to pronounce, yeah. but I think I, I think I nailed it. Did I, did I nail it, Brian? You nailed it. All all right. You nailed it. Perfect. Perfect. So Brian is a fitness entrepreneur and founder of the High Performance Lifestyle Training, whose goal is to create an environment where like-minded people are looking to be more efficient in all areas, areas of life where they can come together. And i tell you what, man, what a mission to bring people together who are trying to be efficient, trying to be better. Uh, we love that, man. So welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on.
0: Thanks for having me. It's been, a, you know, I know we had a bunch of back and forth trying yeah. to make this happen and mm-hmm. try to do it in person. But, you know, travel schedules have been hectic for everybody. So I'm happy that I'm able to uh, jump on via Zoom. Yeah.
1: Yeah. For me. yeah, man. Thank God for 2021 and technology because, you know, yeah, it's not as good. But you sound great, I mean, yeah. and the, just the technology that, that allows us to connect with people from all over the world, it's, it's pretty amazing. And your so.
2: cameras back at home, brother, are awesome. Yeah. Whatever you're utilizing, it works. It works. So, hey, Brian, we want to go back. We want to tell your story and, 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 sure. and tell the journey of, of, of your, your life and all. So I want to go back, man. Where were you born and raised, and what was the family dynamics like?
0: Sure. So I was born and raised in Westchester, New York. Uh, my father was a school teacher and assistant athletic director. Um, and my mother was a hairdresser. Mm. Uh, I have an older brother who is 10 years older than me and an older sister who's three years older than me. So I'm the baby of, of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, the dynamic was was really something special. And I was very fortunate the way I grew up. Uh, my father and my parents were very, very present. Um, I was very lucky as well having my dad as a school teacher because he was able to attend all of my games or practices or able to travel Mm -hmm. on the weekends and, and do certain things that unfortunately a lot of fathers that might have really crazy jobs or really, really high paying jobs don't have that luxury because they're traveling a lot or they're working in Manhattan and were never able to come home super early. So I was very fortunate then and didn't realize it obviously then as a kid, but, um, You know, my father still to this day is my best friend, Uh, very, very close to my parents and very close to my family. Um, I was also very fortunate because my dad being super involved, anytime I wanted to go run routes, he said yes. Every time I wanted to go, you know, take ground balls or or swing or or have a catch, he said yes. If I wanted to run routes and jump in the leaves because we Mm. were watching You know, we were watching the HBO um, football highlights, you know, with (laughs) all the guys on Friday night getting ready for Sunday or whatever. So my dad never said no to any of that stuff. Uh, I was having a conversation with my um, son who's four the other day, and he was like, you always ask me to do all these things with you. Why? And I said, that's how I was. That's what, you know, grandpa did with me. Mm. He wanted to go to the deli. Let's go, Brian. You want to go to Home Depot? Let's go. So I always wanted to be with my dad because we always did stuff. And I I just felt included. So I I really try to do that with my kids now. Um, And you know, my mom, she she's quiet. But when she spoke, you paid attention. Mm -hmm. Uh, And my mom, you know, videotaped every single game came to every single game was super hands on Uh, having an older brother who was a who was a phenomenal athlete. I looked up to him and his friends and I think that that really gave me a big competitive edge as an athlete as well, because I was always playing with guys like 10 years older than me my whole mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Um, and my sister was a rock star too, you know, state champion in field hockey, phenomenal athlete as well. Um, really great entrepreneur. So I got a lot of my entrepreneurial skills from her, not from my parents. Um, so, you know, I, I have to say I was very lucky the way I grew up. A lot of unconditional love, I had a lot of respect for my parents growing up and never wanted to let them down. Did I make stupid mistakes and decisions and do things as a kid? Sure. But, um, I never really wanted to let them down. And, and I felt like it's going to be really hard to emulate that as parents for my children, to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah. Uh, and I feel, I, I think about that a lot because I felt like I grew up in a very, and uh, just an awesome household, um, the only thing, I, I wish they were a little harder on me, actually, now. <laughs> mm. why,
2: yeah, so, why do you say that? Why do you say that you wish they were harder on I you?
0: Feel, I felt like um, it, it would have maybe built a little bit more character and a little bit more grit that I lacked in college as a college athlete. Mm. Um, mm. And I think about that a lot, too. You know, I wish my parents were a little bit uh, tougher on situations. But, like, you know, growing up and, and playing a top-tier soccer If we lost, it was like, okay, you'll get it next time. If I scored 10 goals, it wasn't like a big celebration. Mm. It was like, all right, you got a game next week. Like, let's have family dinner. And we said, you know, good game, and that's it. So it was very even keel, the the relationship. Um, So that's how I really grew up. It was just a lot of hands-on, and family was very important. So what would you you say you would have done
1: differently if you say you wish they were hard on you? What what specifically maybe are you going to implement with your kids down that avenue of wanting to be harder on them?
0: Yeah. Not that I wish they were more like a helicopter parent in the sense of pushing me to do more things. I just wish they demanded more from me Mm. as an athlete and a student. Um, But again, like, you know, we, I played a top tier soccer, got a scholarship to the university of Rhode Island and played ball, but I quit my senior year in college. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I remember vividly having that phone call with my parents at, you know, it's a rap. And my mom was not having it at all. My dad was like, all right, but if it, if it makes you happy, you know, do what you got to do. You've played a lot. My mom was like, no, I taught you at a young age that when you start something, you finish yeah. it. Yeah. And I wasn't having it. I was like, fuck that. I'm in college. I'm mm-hmm. having fun, mom. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not what I want to do. And it was a really dumb decision. It was a very immature decision I made. Mm-hmm. So. I feel like if they were tougher on me as a kid in certain situations to not just rely on my talent when I was constantly succeeding and excelling in sports, but more of grit and determination and and fighting through certain adversity and challenges, maybe I wouldn't have made that decision. Maybe I would have. I don't know. But I'm going to demand more from my kids on the field and off the field.
2: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you know, I love to hear that because there's – and a lot of times – in some kid's life, and I'm sure it was, your, it was true in yours, Brian, as well, is that like, you're probably the best athlete.
0: Yeah, so you didn't I was. Have... And, and it's not, I'm not cocky or arrogant to say that, but it was the truth, you yeah. know, and I, I try to explain it to my wife, and she, like, doesn't get it, right? She's <laughs> like, yeah, but my wife's from Texas. My wife's from Dallas. Go ahead. She went to ESD. Uh, yep. You know, they got the Jerry Jones statue mm-hmm. there. Like, you know, she knows football. She knows sports. She went to Auburn. I just actually went to an Auburn game, Auburn, Georgia. Oh, man. I was that was the coolest experience. Yeah, I I like, yeah. felt great to be an American that day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but like, I was explaining to her, you know, I was like, I have my high school goal record and points record. I'm I'm fifth in the state all time in goals. Like, we were really good. We were 98 and four.
2: Wow. You know, yeah. so,
0: you know, my club team won a national championship. We were number one in the state. So we, being an athlete, it was very. I was ex- I was able to kind of skate through mm-hmm. that, relying on just my talent and showing up. Right? Yeah. yeah, you know, that's so, it. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no that, that was it. So, yeah, I, w- I was, you know, a premier athlete, and I didn't work to become a premier athlete. Right. At yeah. yeah, and yeah. that kind of bit me, in, bit me in the ass down the line.
1: Well, and that's mm-hmm. what I was going to say and ask you is, you know, it's interesting. You dream of success. You work for success, but... It's almost like you had too much of it. You didn't have enough friction and enough adversity that you had to battle through so that the first time in college that, you know, you had other, you know, competing priorities, you didn't really get that. That was the first time you really faced something, truly.
0: You're 100% right. I mean, I remember, like, my dad would say the first time he took me to go ice skating, I was, like, flipping out. I didn't want to ice skate. You know, I was playing varsity in eighth grade then. And you know, like it was just so easy for me to adapt there. Or playing soccer and then playing varsity in eighth grade and being a leading goal scorer then. And then, you know, just dominating 40 goals season after season, or baseball, or all of these things. I didn't really have any adversity that way. Mm-hmm. It was just I was like, wow, this is this how it's just gonna always be. And you know, you're right, and I didn't think about it that way. College was the first time. That I kind of got punched in the face mm, right. with certain obstacles. Whether they brought a kid in from South Africa, I was like, "Why the fuck are they bringing a kid from South Africa?" <laughs> like, you just recruited me, and you know, and I right. like, got so bent out of shape about it. Yeah, uh, and I like tried to kill the kid. Like I was like, "This he's not going to take my spot," uh-huh. or like just new recruits or my coach. I thought my coach was being mean to me, but he was demanding more from me. Mm-hmm. I needed coddled a bit more because my club coach would would coddle me, but I would dominate. So I was like, you're not coaching me. Right. The bottom line is I was the problem. They Mm. weren't the problem. Mm. Maybe they've could done things a little differently because I know you really can't coach all athletes the same way. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's just the, the God honest truth. Some need, some need to be yelled at. Some need to be hugged. Um, yes, but I wish I faced more adversity as a child with sports and certain things in life because I, I would have probably been a better athlete. Right. Uh,
1: what are you yeah, going to do? Yeah, you know, you, you it's refreshing to hear you take ownership, though. You know, And, and I'm sure you wish you would have done more of that You know, when you were going through it. But at least now you, you can look back, you learn from it, you take ownership of it. Now you can pass it on to your kids so they don't make that same mistake. I, I will say, though, listening to some other podcasts and things that you've done, you did mention that you were a hard worker as a kid. So it's not that you, you know, lacked work ethic or anything like that. Tell us about your work ethic. You talk about going to the deli as a young kid and, and having and I, to like, work know, long I hours. Always, and-
0: I always worked as a kid. Um, and it's it wasn't like, I, I think it was just that my parents were like, you're just going to work like that's what you're going to do. Well, you doing, doing- I was going
2: to say, was that your choice? or Was that your parents choice?
0: I think it was more of my parents being like, you know, you want some extra money to do things. Mm-hmm. You can work. But now that I look back at it, like, Whenever it snowed when I was a kid, I would shovel the whole neighborhood and make a yeah. hundred bucks, right? I always did that. That wasn't them telling me to do that. That was just like, wow, I'm, I'm just going to be an energized kid and go do something and right. make some money. So I always did that. Then I detailed cars for a while as a kid in my neighborhood, like, because I, I always saw my dad wash his car and take care of his stuff really well. Um, But then when I wanted extra money, I would always work at the deli that my father would go to mm-hmm. and just help out, you know, like do like, clean the garbage, do stuff like that. Every summer I worked at a country club or did whatever. I valeted cars with my best friends for the longest time. So I was always working, and I think that's what really gave my love for hospitality because I was always interacting with people, and I met so many different people, and the dynamic was great, which allowed me to just, I think – become a bit more advanced in my personal skills with people and feel comfortable to talk to adults or talk to people of power and, you know, try to get things out of certain situations and not ever feel nervous or lack confidence in that, Mm -hmm. in that world. So when I was ready to become an adult and go have to get a career and figure my life out. I was never shy or, or nervous that it wouldn't work out because I knew that I, w- I was always going to be a hard worker no matter what. Man, you cut your teeth. That is so impressive. Like, How many kids today, I'm sure you're going to do the same
2: thing probably with your kids, which, and I, I'm going to do it with my, my youngest, is you're going to work. You're going to do something in the hospitality and serve someone else because that it is,
0: is so awesome. It is, the and, you know, so many people reach out to me like, Hey, my son doesn't know what they want to do. Or I don't know what I want to do. When I get out of school, I have a degree. I might go get an MBA. I'm like, do all of that. That's great. Go get your your degree. Go get your MBA if you want. But go work at a bar. Go Mm -hmm. work at a nightclub. Go work at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. Become a busboy. Become a server. Become a bartender. I guarantee you, you will witness and, and be part of certain situations that down the line, you will be like, oh my God. That was because of that reason. Yeah.
2: Now right. I know what
0: to do. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't. And some of my relationships that I've met 15 years ago, bar backing or bar, guest bartending, still to this day, I work with these people. They're yeah. CEOs of major companies. That mm-hmm. Amex giving me sponsorships or partnerships because I served the guy 15 years ago, and we've kept in touch. And I made and I made an impression on him.
2: Right. Yeah. yeah. And you got out of your comfort zone. That's the thing about being in that in that in that position is. When you have to serve others, they for, people force you to get out your comfort zone. It's not always a hunky-dory day where everything's going to go right. Sometimes somebody's going to cuss your ass out.
0: And it might not be your fault, right? It exactly. might be like the, the, the kitchen's backed up or the bartender made a bad drink and you're serving them and yeah. you have to deal with that situation and you need to either, you know, you need to put water on the fire and calm it down and you need to figure it out. And I loved that and I learned a lot of that in the Hamptons, actually. when We had a nightclub in the Hamptons. You know, we had, it was a premier nightclub. I think, you know, we grossed millions of dollars in 31 nights. It was crazy. You would have Jay-Z, Leonardo DiCaprio, Rihanna. The who's who would be coming to this nightclub in the summer in the Hamptons. And I worked out front with Rachel um, Mm. as you guys probably know who that is. Yeah, yeah, She was like my real first boss in this world. And we can get into that whole story. I spoke about it on, on Nick Bear's podcast. But, you know, she taught me so much about hospitality in terms of when you have, and someone wants something in the nightclub world or the bar or the bar world, and you can get something like that for someone or check in on them. Mm -hmm. You're as good as gold. Yes. Right. And and you are like put on this pedestal and they will always take care of you. If you could take care of them that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I I couldn't agree more. I I talk about, I've got a four year old and a one year old and and I talk about this all the time. Darren and I do that. They will have a job one day. Like you guys are talking about, they're going to serve somebody. But I also want them to have a job where they have to clean up after somebody and mm-hmm. clean things. Because I think those two jobs give you a perspective like no other. Yeah. So they, have, they allow you to connect with people on a different level. But getting back to your story, let's, let's go back to your senior year. What was the final straw for you? What made you say, all right, I'm done, I'm out. This, this, this dream I had to be a professional soccer player, it's not worth it anymore. I'd rather be done and just do something else. What, what was that final straw for you?
0: So I was dating this girl and she wasn't the reason why I quit, but I was having a lot of fun. Um, You know, I also went to college with two of my best friends from one from my high school and one from another school and uh, a guy and a girl. So they were both in the Greek life. So I was, you know, in the sorority world, having fun in the frat world, going to these parties. And I was just like, you know, I already won an A10 championship. Been to the tournament; it was dope. It was really fun, great experience. But I really didn't vibe with my coaches from mm-hmm. day one.
1: Mm-hmm. From day
0: one, I never vibed with them. Even when we were in Europe with them, the way they would speak to me—that they also didn't really like me because I was from New York. Uh, I was by like really close to the Bronx, and they're New England guys. And hey, they I
2: mean, me don't mean to laugh. Don't. I was like the
0: Guido Yankee, right? And they didn't like it. Yeah, hey, you know what? I don't I mean to they, laugh.
2: I, I, I don't mean to cut you off and laugh. But there's not a lot of people that like a lot of the New Yorkers, man. New Yorkers are, (laughs) dude, you guys are rough
0: until you get to know you. I I came in with a headband. I came Uh, in talking (laughs) all this shit. Swag on 100. (laughs) I did it to myself a little bit. But anyway, so I remember just, you know, I was hurt. I hurt my hamstring and I didn't go into camp fit because I was just, you know, that kid. Um, and the season wasn't working out in my favor, my fault, hundred percent, my fault. And I remember I got hurt and I didn't travel one weekend and I was really pissed off about that. And then the next weekend came up and I was just like, you know what? I don't fucking want to play anymore. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I was supposed to get on a plane to go South to go play. And I just didn't get on the plane. I called my coach that morning. And I was like, it's a wrap. Mm. I'm done. Damn. I can't do this anymore. And he was actually cool about it. The head coach, he said, you know, take, take the weekend, think about it. My parents called him. He called my parents. He's like, we still want him on the team. Have him take, take the weekend. And th- that weekend was like the best weekend I had. Like I had no soccer. I had no responsibility. And it was, I I felt like a college kid a little bit first time. And I, w- I just rolled with it and said, you know, it's a wrap. This is, this is not for me anymore. I hated soccer for a minute. Um, And I always say this, like, I don't live with regrets, but I live within that regret to not ever make a childish or selfish decision like that in any part of my life anymore, uh-huh. where I just don't go off of quick feeling. I take a step back and say, uh-huh. okay, like, let's reevaluate what's going on. And that's what I kind of, and I talked to my parents about this too. I wish... I wish they drove up to my school that, that night. Mm. I wish my dad got in the car and drove up and like slapped me in the fucking face. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I wish, right. Because I needed that. I needed that big time that weekend. And and I just, I never, I didn't, didn't play again. Yeah.
1: Hey guys, want to take a quick break from this episode with Brian. Hope you're enjoying the conversation. I wanted to thank our partner, Choctaw Casino and Resort. We've mentioned it a hundred times by now. We were up there a few weeks ago, uh, and, guys, it was incredible. The new expansion is amazing. The new slot machines, the new hotels, the new spa, the new resort-style pool. Get yourself up there. We know things are crazy right now. We know there's a lot of stress going on in the world. Get yourself up to Chalk Talk Casino Resort. Have yourself a good time. Forget about all life's problems for a minute, and just go up there, and, like I said, go get yourself a nice dinner. Get yourself a nice, uh, nice relaxing time with your significant other uh we can't recommend it enough and we will be up there multiple times here in the coming weeks and months uh so we hope to see you guys up there again that's Choctaw Casino and Resort very grateful for their partnership go get yourself involved up there now back to the episode yeah, that's a, quite the conundrum because it's the whole butterfly effect, right? Had he done that, had you not quit, where where would life have taken you had you not done that, right? So you have a different perspective now because you put yourself through that scenario. So I, I hear you. I hear you. I wish, you know, because I, I, I connect with you very much on this. I, I have a, a past history of quitting, ended up coming to bite me in the ass later on. And so I, I totally get it. In the moment, it feels really good. And, and you take all that weight off your shoulder and all that pressure. But you look back weeks and months and years later, and are like, dang it, I shouldn't have done that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But what, that, what was like? What was life like? Okay. So now you're saying you've been playing soccer all your life. That weekend. All
0: my life. Every weekend. Yeah. You know, what I think, and is, that's an awesome question because I knew what sacrifice meant. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people in life don't know what real sacrifice means. Right. Right. So every weekend since I was eight, I was playing soccer. Mm hmm my whole high school weekends traveling four in the morning to soccer tournaments. Right. Mm-hmm. And I got burnt out, Yeah. but then it, it taught me what sacrifice really meant of like trying to achieve a goal. Right. I wanted to get a scholarship for, for college. I hit that goal. Mm-hmm. Right. So then fast forward of like living my best life, my senior year, wiffle ball, drunk, wiffle ball. Um, I'm like wiffle ball champion now, (laughs) right? Like, like in that space, you know, I'm like wearing the chain. I'm like, you know, the wrestling champion now, like just degenerate, but it was the best. Right. So I guess in the grand scheme of things, I'm happy it happened in that way because I had an amazing last semester of Mm -hmm. college. Right. Um, but then in my 20s, after I graduated, like I didn't know what I wanted to do, right? I Got into fashion, got into menswear, got into womenswear. And then my sister got me an opportunity with Rachel to go work in the Hamptons. And then this was like really a, a big major sacrifice from my 20s to 30s. I didn't take off a weekend ever. Mm. I barely went on vacation. I worked every single weekend, every single night, at one point, I was working 3 p.m. to 4, 5 a.m. for years. Right. I was missing friends' weddings. I was missing birthdays. I was missing this, missing that. I never did stuff. But I. it just felt right, and it, and it wasn't something that I regretted. I was like, I see the light at the end of the tunnel with this lifestyle. I like it. I love it. I'm enamored by it. Mm-hmm. I don't mind working like this. But it was a sacrifice because now that I look back at it, I miss so many things that I wanted to do with my friends that they probably have animosity towards me or stuff like this, where it was like, they didn't understand it at the time. Mm -hmm. Like you're working on a weekend again, yeah. yeah. you know, like this is, this is what I want to do. And I, I, I remember like when I first started working in the Hamptons, I would take Metro North in the city back to Westchester where I lived I would get my grandmother's 93 Corolla sand color with the fucking like nine inch hubcaps. Sweet. Drive out to the Hamptons to work. And then I was like, I can't do this. I can't drive this car in the Hamptons anymore. So now I would borrow my mom's BMW, pretend it was my car. But like the sacrifice of like an hour commute to go drive three hours to go to the Hamptons. In a fucking Corolla. I think the Corolla was the ultimate sacrifice. If I got hit in that thing, I'd be dead. You're a fucking extremist, dude. You... In <laughs> color interior, if it got wet, you would just like... You might just fucking burn the car. Dude,
1: what a babe magnet.
0: I would like... <laughs> I'd make sure to be the last one to leave the club.
2: Yeah. Where did you park
0: that thing? Down the street and to the left, or what? I would take a taxi home. I wouldn't even get in it. Dude,
1: why? Why do you work so late in the morning? I don't want anybody to see what I drive I don't home. Want
0: to see my club. <laughs> why do you keep the club?
2: I don't know. I uh, well, you know what? That's your soccer career, though. I mean, think about it. Since you were, you know, a kid, baby, you've been playing soccer every weekend, right? So all you knew was the green light, go. Didn't matter weekday, weekend. I mean, you cut your teeth early on. So when you got into that real world, it was like, Hey man, this is what I do. I work. And yeah, so
0: I, I got an early taste of it for
1: yeah. sure. Yeah. And, and what do you think the draw was? You said it was just so important to me. What do you think that draw was being in that environment? Why was that so important for you to succeed in that Avenue? Did it, did it stem back from the quote unquote failure of quitting that have anything
0: to do with it? No, you know what it was? It was just like, I just felt super comfortable. Like when I was eventually at the deli working so much and interacting with Mm. all these people, it was just so easy for me. I love to dress up. I love to wear nice clothes. It was like in the nightlife world, I'm out front in the nightclub. There's 400 people trying to get in all the hot girls, all the rich guys. Mm. I was just like, wow, I'm in control of this Mm. and it's super fun. The music's awesome. I mean, I'm talking premier, premier nightclub. Like mm. before DJ AM died, he was spinning like oh, wow. really right. top top tier stuff. This is before the Mega Club, like the towels and all them. And right. Right. this is when we had the, the best of the best DJs. I remember the Chainsmokers used to DJ for me for two hundred bucks a night.
2: Oh man, really? Yeah, Come so
0: like, on, two hundred bucks? Two hundred bucks a night? Two hundred bucks. What are they I doing remember, now? They would open. They wouldn't even oh. be the headliners. Um, I remember Leonardo DiCaprio coming in, reading a script, like, wow. at, the, at the table, right? So mm. I was like, holy shit, this is the access that I have now? Like, I get to interact with him one-on-one to make sure he's all good? Mm. Like, I can make a real big impact. Now, I know down the line if I might need something if I ever became close to him, right? Like, I could pull that car. Yeah. But I was running, like, wor- working with, like, I was taking the Nike CEO to his table or mm. Victoria's secret CEO to their table mm-hmm. or the CEO of BlackRock, or what it was just like, wow, I have access now to these people. They text me, they want something. Mm-hmm. I'm now in their circle. Right. You know, I'm not friends with all these people, but right. I had access to
2: them. How old were you at this time? 22.
0: Can <laughs> 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 you imagine 22 in the Hamptons? No, <laughs> no dude, it was wild. Like, <laughs> So wild, oh my god! And then you know we would start drinking at like three when the club was slowing down a bit, and then the party started right. So I was like, "This is." And you didn't get hangovers at twenty three. I had a drink; (laughs) I'd be dead, right? Back then, it was just like game time. I was making cash. It was all cash then. It was it was just.
2: So how long did you do this? What was this this lifestyle? And this is a man. Ten
0: years in the Hamptons.
2: Ten years, boy, you're burning it on both ends for ten straight years.
0: Burning it, but in that in that time, we created a hospitality company during that that mm. ten year the Hamptons, and then we created a premiers you know big bar, big sports bar. We did that that blew up. That was amazing, mm. you know. And we created the Sunday Fun Day. Like we really were the first group to do the Sunday Fun Day football party. Mm. And you know I, this is crazy. Like I remember my friends would go to the Giants game, mm. right at the one p.m. Giants yep. game. By 4 o'clock, when that one p say 4.30, all the Giants would be at the bar before my friends came home sitting in traffic. Oh, man. I'm I, talking about, like, we'd have Plaxico Burris. We'd have all these people. Then if they were playing, um, who was the, the, the freakish athlete? Uh,
2: tight end or?
0: No, he was, like, a linebacker. Curse?
2: Um, uh, uh, oh, Javon Curse. Javon Curse?
0: Yeah. yeah. Or, the freak. Yeah. I, I, yeah. When they were playing, then we'd have to sit him at different tables. Or, it was, like, it was madness. Like the whole G men would be there. The jets would be there. Yeah. Victor Cruz, his whole crew. Yeah. It was a wild time. So like I was so used to that. So I, it wasn't something that fazed me, but right. we knew how to operate and figure it all out because of our experience in the Hamptons. Mm-hmm. So creating a premier brand like that was, was super fun. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you mentioned you, you spent 10 years in this lifestyle.
0: Then where did you go from there? What was, what so was it was kind of around 13 years total. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but during that time, towards the end, I was partying really hard, going out, being being that guy, uh-huh. right? And I had to be that guy for the business. I, you know, it was super fun. Um, but there's, only, there's a lifespan with that. And I started to realize the lifespan when I just didn't start, when I s- stopped feeling really good healthy, health-wise.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, my hangovers were, were bad. Now, I, I was probably, like, vice president of the company then. Um, and then I eventually became president and I think it was after my wedding, right? Where I had a really bad night out, totally blacked out, like just a disaster. And I woke up that morning and I told my wife, I was like, I'm, I'm not drinking anymore. Mm. I just can't, I can't wake up feeling like this anymore. And she didn't believe me and no one else believed me. And now I'm coming up like six years not really drinking. Um, which is crazy, but I made that decision. And once I made that decision, then I started to realize that this nightlife bar scene restaurant world isn't for me anymore. Right. It's not aligned with my moral compass of how I want to be as a dad, eventually how I want to go about it as a person. Um, and that's when I started taking fitness a lot more seriously and I was like, I can't do both. You just simply, as you know, as a premier yeah. athlete, like you just can't do both. Right. It's impossible. There's right. time and place for sure, but you can't burn it on both ends. You can't get hammered and, and expect to have a good game. Mm. So I made that decision, and it was the best decision I honestly ever made because my life just became that much better. I became that much more efficient. I made more money. I started getting more deals, and things just started to really – take off for me on a personal brand level Mm -hmm. which ultimately made me realize wow I can exit this hospitality world now and not really skip a beat in terms of professional world and the sky's the limit there's no ceiling for me um to be who I really want to be and live the life eventually I wanted to live
2: Was, was there any anxiety I mean first of all let me go back to this when did you meet your wife your 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 wife now
0: I met my wife the night before Hurricane Sandy. So I think that was two thousand twelve. Okay.
2: Two thousand twelve. Okay. All right. So you met her when you were you when you were burning it on both ends. You that's when you I
0: met I, I remember like I was on a date with another girl up she, she was upstairs in the VIP of my bar and I was just getting set up with my wife to throw her a party, um, for throw her a dinner and then we put two and two together that were supposed to be set up. Hmm. And I remember, and this sounds really corny and cheesy, but I remember the first time I saw her, uh-huh. that I was going to marry this chick. Meanwhile, see, I was like, wait I'm a minute, at the show who's upstairs? I'm like <laughs> this is fucking crazy, right? And what what do I do? But you know, I was like owning my bar, running around like a maniac. We went to go see. I was on another date. We we're going to see the weekend before the weekend was yeah. even cool, right? Like, yeah but I'm like the whole time thinking about this other chick who I'm setting up this dinner for. And then we had a, we had a bar in Vegas. So that next morning before hurricane Sandy starts, I was going to Vegas two times a, a month too. So mm-hmm. like, Jeez. we want to talk about disaster,
2: <laughs> right? Yeah.
0: Di- biggest disaster. So I'm in Vegas. I'm stuck in Vegas for like 10 days because of hurricane Sandy and me and my, my wife just kept talking the whole time. And I was like, wow, this is going to be dope. Mm-hmm. Then she moved in eight months. It moved in after four months. Eight months after that, we're engaged. Oh man, wow. that's awesome. That's Good for awesome. You, yeah. Man. Yeah. Good for you. Dead. Uh,
2: yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? That whole transition of yours, there had to be some anxiety of knowing that you were going to leave the hospitality industry. Because look, let's face it, most of those that are most of the people that are in that that space, that hospitality space, and they're burning on both ends and they're living that lifestyle that is a transition that a lot of them can't make. They just, you can't, it's almost like a football, like an athlete. You're doing this for 12, 13 years. And then all of a sudden I have to be a professional and do something else. Does that transition doesn't happen that way. Was there any anxiousness of leaving that lifestyle and going into the professional world?
0: A ton, a ton, because I built a massive brand and I had, I had a really big upside if we were to sell this company. Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't care at that point, you know, it was like back to my soccer days. Like I didn't care if I left. Mm -hmm. Right. It was just the right time. But at this moment of me making that decision, I didn't make a dumb decision and and just do it off of a bad day or Mm a bad night. I thought about it. I consulted with people. I spoke to professionals. I spoke to lawyers. I spoke to other people in this world of when I make this transition, what should I expect? What can I do? How can I set myself up now as I want to leave mm-hmm. this world? Luckily at that time, I just landed the men's health cover. So when, once I landed that men's Luckily, health cover,
2: yeah.
0: it put me into a different world that I didn't experience mm-hmm. yet. And this is when I'm now working with major, major brands. So I was like, wow, okay, let's take a step back. I just got this cover. I just got a Volvo deal. It's got an MX deal. My wife just got her show on VH1 at the time. Mm. Things are great. Now she just got her job at VH1, I mean, at CNN. We just bought our house. Okay, things are great. Now let's reevaluate the situation. The time I had major anxiety is we had a a baby boy. So I'm making great money at this point, but I'm like, wow, if I give this up and go pursue this other world that I'm already really ingrained in and and have a a strong footprint in it, This can go sour just like anything can go sour. But I put this post up the other day that I didn't care if my wife didn't believe in me. I didn't care if my parents didn't believe in me or my friends or my old partner thought it was a bad decision. I didn't give a shit because I knew that there's only one person that has to believe in this decision. And that's the mug that I look in the mirror every day. Mm. If I believe in myself, there is zero doubt that I will be successful. And I'm not going to negotiate with any, any, anybody. I'm not going to negotiate with any of my dreams or my aspirations or things I want to accomplish because I know that I can accomplish anything as long as I work hard and believe in myself. So I was like, fuck it, let's go game time. And it was, it's just been, been wonderful because I'm work at it every single day. Still, it's Mm -hmm. not like we don't take days off about shit. It's still shooting content when you don't want to shoot content. It's still doing the little things Mm -hmm. that I've learned over the years to be who I want to be and live the life I want to live.
1: Let's camp here for just a second because we get tons of DMs from people that are talking about, man, I don't like my job. I want to do something else. I don't know when the right time is to transition. So for you, did you have every single thing answered from day one? Did you know all the answers to what you were about to accomplish when you left that other company?
0: No, no, not at all. And I, I don't think anyone really does, that, right? Like how about when you want to leave a team or you want to get traded, right? Like at that moment, you, you might be frustrated or you might want to go to a new team, but you don't know how the new coach is going to be, yeah, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't know how your, those, those teammates might be. You probably maybe fought with them for four years before, right? right? Usually they embrace you, but you never know what the future is going to hold. Right. And that's the beauty of it, right? I, I think you just need to know... If you are ready to strap up and go to war every day and you have that confidence, you're going to be successful. Yeah. And if this shit didn't work out, I would be digging ditches and doing construction and fucking crushing that, too. Like, I wouldn't be ashamed to do that shit. I would go get it and be the best I could possibly be. Love it. That's gold, man. So it's like, I'm never going to fail. just not in the fucking deck of cards for us here you throw adversity, which we've, we've dealt with a lot of in our lives so far in our seven years of being together, seven years of marriage, nine years being together. Might get punched if she heard that. (laughs) Like That's it. That's not going to, it wasn't going to happen. I wasn't going to allow that to happen.
2: What is it about her? What is it about your wife? Because there's, you talk, you light up when you talk about your wife, what is it about her?
0: Well, It's funny. All my friends and associates and, people we roll with, we call her the weapon. Mm. Right. She's a weapon. Do tell yeah. the hardest worker, uh, upfront direct tells you how it is, tells you what's on her mind, whether you like it or not. Mm. Uh, anything she says she's going to do, she's going to do it. 150%. So right then and there, I always saw that spark in her and I always saw that energy, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what really drew me to her besides her being beautiful. So I was just like, wow, she's really hot. But this girl goes out and gets it like I've never seen before mm-hmm. in a really respectful way and just gets it done and is very well respected. So I was, that's what really like sparked the shit out of me. And we really compliment each other a lot in what we do. We, mm-hmm. we bounce things off each other. And I also needed someone to call me out in my shit <laughs> And I need someone to tell me I'm a moron sometimes when I have ideas, but she always disagrees with everything I want to do because she, I think she just wants me to think them through.
2: Right. So right.
0: it was like how I needed my mom and my dad to like come get me, and get me into that space and think things through. She does that. If it's like fucking put on a pair of Jordans, she's like, you going to wear those Jordans. You know, like she wants me to like thoroughly be calculated on shit. But, uh, yeah, she's great like that. She's just on top of everything. And I, I, I needed someone to basically be the boss. Yeah, yeah. So you make the transition,
1: yeah. you do your own thing, you're confident, you're ready to get after it. Were there any points, though, early on where maybe it didn't look like, uh-oh, this may not go how I thought it was going to go,
0: or did it kind of just go smooth-setting the whole way? Yeah, so like a little bit in the beginning, it was a little rocky, just as I transitioned kind of at the wrong time of year. So okay. it was like right around December into January where a lot of the year was wrapped up in my world in terms of advertising marketing. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had to wait for the spring to pop off, but this is when my wife was um, This is how HPLT started. Mm-hmm. So this is when my wife is pregnant with our second kid and we're on our baby moon, right? Cause people do baby moons now. So we're <laughs> on our baby moon in Miami. And I'm reading and listening to this book by David Goggins. Mm. I'm like, this guy is who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's we all say him. that when we yeah.
1: read David Goggins. <laughs> I need to
0: meet him. So we're in we're in Miami. I've been thinking about this idea for a long time. So I'm like, I know how to throw events really well. I know how to get people together really well. I have a very strong network of people. Mm. What if now this is when I'm like full-blown fitness, Johnny fitness, Johnny doesn't drain. Johnny runs, Johnny shredded all this stuff. So I'm like, what if I throw an event and create a company called high performance, something high performance, right? Blah, 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 blah. So I come up with high performance lifestyle training. And what if I throw an event in the city and bring all of my fitness people together for a weekend where we have speakers where we have really hard workouts, good dinners, great food, and see if anything can materialize. Like maybe beta test this to see if it works. So I'm reading this book by David Goggins. And I'm like, how do I get in touch with David Goggins? There's got to be a way to get in touch with him. So I Google around, I find his manager, someone puts me in touch with his manager and I email her and I said, Hey, I have this company called high performance lifestyle training. We're an event based business. We crush it. Blah, 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 blah. Um, check out my Instagram. This is what I do. I didn't even have a deck yet. Didn't even have a website yet. I would like to get David Goggins to speak at my next event. And she's like, when's your next event? I'm like, it's going to be in May. And she's like, he's free that weekend, actually. And I'm like, how much is he to speak? And she's like, um, 55,000. So I'm like, fuck. We <laughs> <I really> shouldn't. <laughs> Carry the We really shouldn't spend 55 grand right now. <laughs> but I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll wire you half the money. And this is not on my baby. Mm. I wire her, I think, like $27,000. <laughs> Go back to my wife and I say, hey, so I'm starting a new company called <laughs> My Performance Lifestyle Training. We have an event in May, and uh, I'm going to get this guy, David Goggins, to come speak. She said, she's who? Like, she's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, um, I also wired him $27,000. <laughs> and she didn't speak to me that whole day. No shit? <laughs> no. Oh, no shit. No way. Oh, no way. I can't believe it. It's didn't speak to me that whole day. And I'm like, let me just tell you about this idea. And I kept, kept telling her, and I and I then I eventually sold her on it, and she was like, okay, you got, you got to make this work now. So <laughs> I said, all right, fuck it, we get back to New York. I I get with my old um, graphic designer, tell her about my idea. She builds me a deck. She builds me flyers, and I just start pumping that we're gonna have David Goggins speak, boom, in May. We sell out in like fucking a week. Mm and the money was coming in i was like wow this is a real business now pay him his fucking fee then i'm like how much extra to do a three mile three mile uh, 10k run with him she's like another 3,500 i'm like fuck it let's throw all <laughs> like gambling on this whole situation and the event we had 500 people at the event we had 40 people at the summit for the three-day summit we trained with david goggins it was the most epic experience ever. We're running on the West Side Highway. Mm. We're running with him. People are like, burn the boats. Burn the boats! <laughs> like, we all hard. like three seals that day. And then after that weekend, I was like, wow, I have a legitimate fucking business. Mm. Mm. Now, I can get in touch with everybody because I had David Goggins. I have the proof. I have the deck. I have everything. And then I just went out. And then I next, next event, I got Matt Frazier, CrossFit Game five oh, yeah. times games champion who's a, an animal mm-hmm. then we got seal team six and then it's just like time after time we're able to get all of these athletes and amazing speakers and people to just create such an environment of all of these like-minded people who bring their tool bag to sharpen their tools right and it's super cool because you have people who come and their t- their tools are like fucking unbelievably sharp and you got people that don't even know what a tool bag is and you bring them <laughs> together. And it's just what it's magic, what happens when all these people come together and the camaraderie that's built, which brings me back to being an athlete again mm, that yes. I missed so much. So it, it's just been a remarkable experience. And now we have our sixth summit coming up in, um, in two weeks. We're going to be in Austin, Texas. Hey, gonna mm. wild. Yeah, it's going to be sick in Texas. And we're launching a new format called the Games. And we're going to try to find the fittest civilian out there. And it, it's just been wild. Man, yeah, how, a, how much energy did that give you, though, to to
1: take that big risk and to see it all work out? I mean, how how energizing
0: was that whole experience? If I didn't wire him the money, I would have never created this company. Right? Mm-hmm. I had to put myself and my back against the wall mm-hmm. and have those moments of like, you can do this. You've done this your whole life. You succeeded before. You've made dumb decisions, but you figured it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is the next, next phase for you, man.
2: And you know that's something, go. man, to, to, yeah. to, to commit.
1: And what year was this? Did you say, what year are we talking? 2019. Oh, wow. Oh yeah. So just recently. Pretty I mean, yeah. relatively speaking right before.
2: Yeah. So how are things, how have things gone through COVID? Have you had a lot of struggles in that, in that aspect?
0: Yes. Yeah, so we got shut down for 12 months, but yeah. Mm-hmm. During COVID, and this can, we could just talk about what happened during COVID and adversity during COVID, my house fucking burned down yep. uh, January 17th.
1: Yeah, tell us that story. Yeah, tell us a wild, wild story. story. Okay. I want to take another quick break and thank our other partner, Sleep Number, uh, the official sleep partner of the Darren Woodson Show. And guys, they are doing some phenomenal things when it comes to sleep and recovery. The technology that they've implemented into their products, into their mattresses, is unmatched in the industry. Go get yourself to a Sleep Number. They're locally wherever you are. They're all over the country. Or go to SleepNumber.com and check out these uh, 360 smart bed technology and the mattresses. And like I said, uh, they are doing some incredible things. It's a VIP type service. They'll treat you like you're, you know, a Dak Prescott or a, you know, whoever else that they're sponsoring and and, and working with. Um, and it's just a great experience overall. So get yourself up to sleep number or visit sleepnumber.com to check out more. Now back to the episode.
0: Yeah, we, we had two summits, right? And we're planning our third, we were planning our third one, which was in LA. So seal team six, crazy people. Awesome. Um, I've now my, my brand deals and my sponsorship deals are really heavy. Mm -hmm. They're dope. I'm traveling. Cash is great. Um, and you know we have our home it's beautiful i grew up in having my dad make fires all the time in the house and that was like our family bonding time and we loved it so like you know just how i was raised i did that here i just got back from la from uh, working with under armor i come back it's january 17th it's fucking cold as balls here in new york it's like fucking 20 degrees so my wife's like hey i took off the rest of the day it's a friday um let's just kick it at home, make a fire, have an early dinner with the boys, put them down, Netflix and chill. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, this is going to be great. going to be a great night.
2: Oh yeah. Go ahead. Absolutely.
0: It's going to be lit. Literally, literally it was lit. Oh. <laughs> so I made it, I, yeah, right? It's funny now. I made a cranking fucking fire hot. This one is hot. Now I'm used to the smell of smoke and fireplace, just like people yeah. do when they have fire, you just yeah. smell it. So we're eating, everything's good. The boys, now we're very militant when we put our boys to sleep. So any new fathers out there, put your fucking kids down early and enjoy it. So we put them down around seven o'clock and we still do. So put fire's cranking. My wife's laying down. We just, you know, we're going to put a movie on, put the kids to bed. So I put the kids to bed. I come back down and she's like, yo, it's a little smoky down here. I'm like, yeah, I know, but it's really not that bad. Like I'm used to that, whatever. She's like, no, but look at the hi hats. Like there's some little smoke there. Um, I'm like, you're right. But just like, at, you know, just like any couple, you argue about doing stupid shit. Yeah. So she's like, go check on the kids again. I just want to make sure they're good. I'm like, I just got off a flight from LA. I am so tired. Like, I just want to chill. Can you go? No, can you go now? You go. Okay, fine. I'll go. So as I go upstairs, she calls my brother. Now my brother is a, a famous home inspector has a show on HGTV mm famous plug right there does his thing um as she's talking to him he's like listen if you think you have a fire that could be between your walls because you don't see any fire or whatever and you call the fire department and they come in and they think there's a fire they're going to destroy your house yeah just just an fyi so make sure that you guys have a fire Mm -hmm. i don't know this conversation is happening so I go upstairs. Now my plan was to check on the little baby first, just cause I put him down last. So check on him. He was like one and a half at the time or one, one. Yeah. I think one. And then go check on Leo. Mm-hmm. So as I go up and I'm about to step on the second floor landing, I hear <coughs> daddy, I can't breathe. Mm. Mm, man. So yeah. I even get chills thinking about mm. that. I'm like, Fuck, what, what is I was like so confused, right? So I opened his door and black smoke everywhere. Oh, I can't even. Shit. Meanwhile, the fire chief in our town said, if you didn't go up at that exact oh, time, yeah. it would be a totally different scenario in your house. <sighs> think about that, right? Like, I think I would honestly kill myself. Oh, man. It would have yeah. happened. Mm. Oh, I, mean, I live, right? Like, it's crazy shit. So I know where his crib is. Obviously, I take him out of his crib, and I check in Luke's room with him, and there's no smoke. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. Now, to anyone listening on here, if you think there's a fire, you see a fire, or there's smoke in your house. Don't open your windows. It wow. fuels the fucking fire.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. The oxygen. Yep. Coming in. Yep. I opened
0: up every window. thinking to get the smoke out of the house. Right. Right. I didn't know right now, I know, but yeah. we did that. The fire department comes and oh, we left Luke up there. The fire department comes because there was no smoke in Luke's room. So I left him sleeping. Oh. Huh. Right. All right. Fire department comes in. We're walking around doing the heat seekers there's no flames yet. We're doing the heat seekers on the walls, nothing downstairs. So we go upstairs. Luke is still sleeping in his room. Leo's with my wife downstairs. All right. We're in Luke's room and he steps in the closet on the floorboard and – oh, sorry. Did we just lose you guys? No, no.
2: We got you. Um,
0: and step on the floorboard and flames and smoke shoots up.
1: Mm. Oh, so man. he's
0: like, get your family and your animals and anything you can grab and get the fuck out of the house. You have a fire. Wow. I'm like, jeez. What? Now, everyone's in their, like, pajamas, right? Like, I'm in, like, shorts and a T-shirt. It's 20 degrees outside. It's wild. So I grab Luke. Come downstairs in the basement. Chloe's like, why do you have, why are you downstairs with Luke? You know, like freaking out like he's not, he's going to get woken up. And I'm like, we have a fucking fire. Like time to, time to get your shit and get out. So they usher out of the house. No shoes, nothing. Go across the street with the dog. They run across the street to my neighbor's house. Call my brother. Dude, there's fucking fire. Call my parents. They're on their way. They're trying to kick me out of my house. I'm not leaving. I'm like, I'm not fucking leaving until I know what's going on. They're mm-hmm. like, you have to leave your house. Like, like I'm not leaving. Chainsaws, whoosh, chopping through oh. the whole bucket. Of this. They find the big fire. So the fireplace stack shoots up into Leo's room. Oh, It was burning through probably for a month straight without us knowing. Had no idea. So this fire just had to be so hot that day that it just finally caught. Huh? So they go there. I get my other cat. I throw him in my truck. I'm running around. Then the hoses start coming in. And I vividly remember staying in my foyer and watching all of my ceilings fucking fall down and just land everywhere and everything just get destroyed. And I remember like just crying, like, is this really fucking happening? Like this is the worst nightmare. But at that point I was just so happy that my children were out mm-hmm. and my family was fine. Right. That like, I honestly didn't even give a shit. I was just like, we could have lost Leo. Yeah. It was like the the worst thing ever in the world. Now that everyone is safe, you know, it, it was just, it was great. It was just a surreal moment. It makes you appreciate shit a lot more makes yeah. you realize that <laughs> nothing is forever yeah true. It can change in a second dude like it's wild so it, just being part of that and then having the pandemic happen and shut down my whole business for 13 months mm. and having my town not want me to rebuild during the pandemic and not give us an essential permit and fighting with them about that and Jesus it was wild dude. it was wild 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 but Anyone who's listening, the, what I can tell you is that when you're faced with this adversity and, and these these troubling times, you need to embrace the adversity and you need to use it to fuel you to go further. Mm. And mm. I used it and became better from it. I used it not to get mad about the situation. I used it to become smarter. I used it to work harder at certain things. I used it to become more connected in this world and, and be and help people. And I think that's what a lot, a lot of people take adversity sometimes and what they're, what they've been dealt or certain situations that they have to overcome and they use it in an angry way. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that only lasts for so long because it really tires you out. Sure. But I Said this happened for a reason, you know, we will rebuild. It's just a house. Everyone is safe. Yeah. Yeah do now certain things we wanted to do with the house that we couldn't have done before. Cause it was just an older home. So let's look at the, the bright side there and let's get to moving. So I remember back to the weapon story, the next day, she's like, I found three houses. Here, you go on this with the realtor. Boom, boom, boom. Make it happen. I was like, wow. Well, the next day, the next day, 9am uh, wow. I'm looking at houses. No we time to the sit house. there and wallow. We- and we found it out. You cannot. And I learned this um, from seal team six and rich Divine that the two minute drill, and this is awesome for people when you're faced with adversity or something bad happens or you're fucking poopy pants or something's not going your, your way. Sulk in it for two fucking minutes and keep it moving. Mm, yeah. And that two minutes is, you know, two minutes could be an hour a day, whatever, but sulk in it, cry, which we did get mad, which we did mm-hmm. be happy that everyone is safe, which we did regroup your fucking bones, get your bags, pack your shit up and keep it moving.
2: Oh man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what, That's man? Effective. That is awesome. That That's is awesome. But you know, it's, it's, it's that time. Like you said it earlier, you said that there was a time when there, there was a time when you basically, you have to take the emotions out of it. You have to. You have to – it's almost like that fly on the wall. Take the emotions out of it and just you go through those processes. you got to go. And we, we've we talked about it on these shows. I do it all the time, man. When shit is hits the fan, of course you're going to get emotional. There's got to be some part of you. You ain't breathing if you don't get emotional, right? But go through it. The two-minute drill is something I'm definitely going to apply to, to, to what I, the way I look at things. But I've gone through it and I have, you know – you go through this, I'm mad, I'm pissed, I'm crying, I have to do all these things, and then at some point you take the emotions out of it and you go, okay, what the fuck's next? What am I going to do? Either I'm going to be the fucking victim or I'm going to get off my ass and go do whatever whatever it is that it, that it takes.
0: You know they were saying, and, and Rich and SEAL Team 6, when, when they were at our summit, and he, he explains this, he's like, when you're in war, you might not have two minutes to sulk. You mm-hmm. might see your buddy next to you with his fucking head blown off or shot or killed you have to, you have to keep going
2: mm.
0: like pull your shit together and go yep. because yep. you're going to be dead next. Right. And I take that now. And obviously I'm not in war, but he was like during that situation when you heard your kid coughing and you had to get out and you had to do, you were in war mode. Yeah. You were in yeah. survival fucking war mode mm-hmm. and you have to think smart and you have to think quickly and you have to protect and when there's that opportunity to sulk in it, which might be after a gunfight, which might be after a game you lost, which yeah. might be after an interception you throw or a, a field goal you miss or a soccer goal that you fucking, you blow. Yeah, cry. Get it, fucking let it out because yeah. that shows that you really give a fuck about it and you you have emotion. Yeah. But pick your shit up and keep it moving. Yeah. And show up the next day and bring your A game. I remember I went for a four-mile run the next day. My wife's like, you're going to go for a run? I'm like, I have to. Yeah. I have to get back to my routine in my life. She's like, it's been 12 hours. I'm like, it's it. We know what we're doing. We got our house. Mm-hmm. Everyone's fine. We got the third party uh, insurance adjuster. Our house was pe- our house that burned totally inside was cleaned up everything out of it within five days. Oh wow. shit! Wow. And we were fucking keeping it moving. And that was it. And I was like, we're gonna rebuild this fucking house better. We're gonna make money on this house. And we're just gonna get back to our life. Mm-hmm. We're gonna get an awesome rental home. We got HPLT coming up in three weeks. We're going to fucking murder that. And then, boom, COVID happens. Yep. Yeah. So, I'm like, okay, listen, we, we dealt with the house fire. COVID can't be as bad as a house fire, right? Like, this is going to be over and fucking by <laughs> Easter. As, as Trump, I thought we were going to, like, fucking drink Clorox and we were going to be fine. And, uh, you know, like, I'm like, get the fucking Clorox. We'll be fine. You know? just drink it. So... Then the Clorox didn't work, and fuck really bad.
1: You got to inject it. You got
0: to inject it in your veins. And then we're like taking syringes of Clorox, and then we're all fucking. Now we're all junkies. Um, so then this is going longer and longer, and I'm like, well, what are we going to do with this business? Instagram sponsorships and all these partnerships. Everyone was, you know, taking the pulse of the country and kind of playing it PC and safe. So I was like, what are we going to do then? You know, I was like, Look, we have to do a virtual summit. We got to figure it out. So we did a virtual summit. Mm-hmm. Did really go well there. Nate Burleson was our keynote speaker. he's yeah. a fucking man. Yeah. I yes, love him. Yeah. And he deserves everything he's got going on for now. I am so fucking happy yeah, for Nate's him. Yes. Uh, he's a good
1: dude.
0: Greatest. So he he's such a great public speaker, by the way. Mm. Oh, my God. I mean, people were crying during his virtual talk. and people He was just, he is so great. So we did a virtual summit. And that was awesome. And then, you know, we decided as a family that we were going to enjoy the summer and not stress out about a lot of stuff going on and get the house back to normal and then hit, hit the fall really hard. And we were able to do another summit and it was great. And, you know, COVID taught us a lot. It taught us a lot that I don't think, you know, I, maybe I wouldn't appreciate it as much if I wasn't a parent, but I'm never going to get those moments that I had with my kids again Uh where I really were able to see them grow and do bath time every night, which I missed a lot of uh, with Leo and wake up with them every morning and and just be a dad with them 24 seven times were nervous and and we were scared with certain things, but luckily my wife was doing really well at her job still. So I just think being a, a, a dad and, you know, there was an awesome uh, New York Times article was about what COVID really started was it was getting the CEO back to the dinner table. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So true. Yeah. And we, we kind of took that for granted for so long mm-hmm. um, that I'll just miss dinner. I'll be there tomorrow night or, you know, I got to work late again tonight. But I think that kind of took everyone back to maybe those dinners and working super late aren't that important. important yeah. Exactly. Well, so I was able to experience that as a dad. Um, you know, and it was also tough, you know, like being around, you know, just being around each other and your kids also 24 seven is yeah, different. Yeah. 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 So it was a, a, you know, and maybe that's why I was running 20 miles every day, but <laughs> you know, I mean, it's definitely a point where it was just like, okay, you know, you have to juggle it, you have to balance it. This is great, but it's difficult. Like, you know, uh, so it, it it ended up being a a, uh, a great experience for us as a family because we were able to spend so much time and I was able to see them really grow.. Man. Dude.
1: yeah, you know what's interesting here in your story, you, you don't you don't take the body blows directly. You, you have an ability to pivot, it seems like, and adjust and make changes when necessary. you don't you don't sit there too long, you don't let it hit you in the face too long. You have an ability it sounds like to move on and adjust quickly. And that's, man, that's that speaks to why you're so successful and that speaks to why you've built what you've done.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how that happened, right? I don't know if maybe you're born with that, maybe you're not, maybe you just um, see situations differently. But, you know, I, I, I think also, you know, going through IVF with both of our children and, mm-hmm. and being told that I'm not going to be able to be a dad at one point right, really hit me hard. And I think then it was just like, there's, there, there's no stop button. You have to, if, now that you have your kids, like everything has to, you have to go and you have to work at it and everything has to work out. Yeah. yeah. Um, because not being a dad, now that I think about it, it w- would be really
2: um, crazy. Did I, did I just hear the baby in the background?
0: Did I just, yeah. yeah. Right when
2: you said that. Man. Yeah, that's right when you
0: said that. So just, you know, that ability to, being told like, I remember vividly. I tell the story quickly, you know, we were just pregnant with Leo. We, we, IVF finally worked, you know, I have male factor infertility. So it was, it was my reason. So you could think about the resentment in my marriage at one point of not being able to get my wife pregnant where we've had conversations with what I've had with her and said, I think you need to marry someone else because oh, I man. don't think I'm be able to give you kids. No. And I want you to do that. Right. Like yeah. there's going to be no, like go do your thing. Um, so I remember vividly, you know, she, I'm working out. She calls me, Hey, you got to come to the doctor. Um, I have to go to another doc. She went to like a r- routine checkup and she was just like, we got to go to another doctor. I'm like, what the fuck? Why? She's like, I-, I think we lost the baby. And I'm like, fuck no. I'm like, no, no, this can't be happening. I'm like mm. we did, it, yeah, we did it, all, everything we're supposed to do, we go to the doctor. I mean, she thought it was an, he thought it was an ectopic pregnancy. And he's like, I can bet like this guy was so rude. And his bedside manner was so terrible. He's like, I can bet you guys like a million dollars. Like you're not going to have a baby. Uh. And we just, we just, Hey guys, we just did. Oh. We just did uh <laughs> we just did a test too early and the, the sack didn't develop yet. Yeah, all right. So was just, so my as my wife being the weapon she didn't take no for an answer she's like we're going to get a second opinion we're going to wait and i re- vividly remember that doctor telling me that and now it'll, this the story will come full circle so we ended up going to the doctor two days a new doctor two days later and everything was fine
2: uh-huh. Uh-huh. and
0: i remember like that whole weekend being like i'm not going to be a dad like i'm a failure i failed my wife i failed myself i'm not a man i can't even get a woman pregnant. Uh-huh. Like." thinking of myself, like, yeah, I'm confident. I do well. I'm in great shape, but I, I can't right. get my wife pregnant. Like I'm a fucking loser.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then nine months, mu- eight months later, we're doing a hospital tour. And we just happened to walk by that doctor's office who told me rudely, basically, you're not going to be a dad and this is not going to be a pregnancy. Mm. I said, doc. And he was like, Mazza, Mazza. And I was like, yes. I was like, look, she's pregnant. Wow. And it just so good to yes. say that because mm. he was like, there's no, and he's still to this day and we're, we're friendly with him now. He's like, there, I could still bet a million dollars that you guys weren't going to have that baby. Yeah, I don't saying. know. It's a miracle. Yes. Right. So, you know, we, I've dealt with a lot of, a lot of adversity in different ways, right? Not maybe not your traditional adversity of, you know, certain how certain people are raised or certain situations as a kid or that you go through. But, We've dealt with our fair share of of tragic shit.
2: Right. And that you know, and that's why we wanted to tell your story, Brian, because, you know, what people see are the magazine covers. They see the hospitality, the the success you've had in the hospitality industry. They see the success, the new success that you're having now. But they don't hear these stories. Mm -hmm. They don't hear the ups and downs and how you overcame these things. And and what's made you the person and your family what they are today, man? And that's that's the reason why we do this show, man. Yes. Because we our listeners need to hear this. Mm-hmm. Because everyone has a fucking story,
0: you it, know. And, and that's what, and that's the beauty of you. Because unfortunately, you always hear the same stories about adversity, right? right. And mm-hmm. I'm not taking anything away from that, but you need to hear other side of things. Like, yeah, my life might look a certain way, right. but. I've dealt with a lot of shit that yes. has, has maybe built my character a certain way. Mm. And it's not your traditional shit that you deal with. That's right. Right. Like, right. I, quick story going into college, um, they switched my fucking transcripts with another kid by mistake. Damn. So I thought I initially got accepted to the University of Rhode Island on a scholarship. Mm. And then I didn't get through the clearinghouse because they're like, mm. your transcript doesn't match this transcript. So picture oh. a premier athlete, right? My ego and this and that I'm getting my scholarship to go play ball. Then I get a call in February that you didn't get accepted into school. I got a know. I got a letter that oh. didn't get accepted to the university of Rhode Island. Oh. Meanwhile, I just got told I got a scholarship to go play ball. Right. So picture yeah. a kid at 16 years old, 17. I think I was, I was, uh, I went to college at 17, 17 years old. Being like, what the fuck do I do now? I just told all these other schools, I'm committed to URI. Right, yeah. Mm. I got finally accepted in June before camp in August. Goodness. So I dealt with that shit. I also dealt with, you know, even being as talented as I was as an athlete, not getting picked for certain teams because of politics or this or that. Mm -hmm. My daddy didn't donate a field or my daddy didn't do this and that, you know? And I'm like, this is fucking crazy. And then being able to show up and perform and do my thing. And then a coach apologizing me like, we should have taken you two years ago. Sorry. I'm like, no fucking shit, dude. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, so I've always had that little chip on my shoulder. Um, I always had a little bit of insecurity about performing and, and being who I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think you embrace that adversity. You, you, you kind of just prepare to fight every day. Um, and, I'm happy to do it. I got
2: one more question before we go, yep. right? Before we go to your last question. What's your take on that victim mentality?
0: Just in general, victim mentality? Uh, yes. Listen, sometimes the cards that you're dealt, you, you can't fucking control that. Mm-hmm. So I'm never going to put myself in a position to allow anything that has happened to me out of my control to control my destiny. Mm. Right. I'm not going to be that victim. I'm not going to do things that allow myself to be that victim also. And I think a lot of people do certain things sometimes that put them in that victim mentality. I'm going to fight, like I said, every day to be the best I can fucking be. And I'm not going to ever be a victim. I'm not going to allow it. I'm not going to bring it into my home. I'm not going to let my kids fucking see it and understand it. My kids are, you know, are going to live a great life, but they're going to work. They're going to bust their ass. They're going to know what failure is like. They're going to know what adversity is like. Uh They're going to know what it's like to earn a fucking dollar. Uh And I think if you instill that in your children, they will not know what a victim mentality is because they're going to be go getters. And I think sometimes people that don't get a taste of being a go getter sometimes because they're either told they're not good enough, they're either told they can't be successful, they're told they're slow, they're fat, they're ugly, they're not smart. That's what starts a victim mentality. But they have to think down the road. I, if I live in this world con- continuously, I'm never going to go further. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to work their fucking ass off. If my kids act up or become bullies or do something, I'm going to whoop their ass. They're not going <laughs> to shit. Um, and that's just going to be the bottom line, right? Hey, so man. I'm not going to put them in a position to be a victim mentality type yeah. of person. Right. I love it, man. Yeah.
1: I love it. We're we're headed in the right direction. If more of us parents take that mentality that you just
0: described. And you know right? what? Like, let's bring the fucking, the cool dad who's home, who, who fucking busts ass, who's a leader back yeah. into the world. Right. Like yeah. it's okay to be a strong alpha dad. And we need more of that, a positive alpha dad in this world. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes this world and this, this new type of shit that's going on is, is taking that away And it's, it's not bad to have a strong alpha dad at home. That's right. I love it. That's right. I
1: love it, man. There are tons of people listening before we get to our last question. There's tons of people listening right now that are like, man, I got to get more of Brian. So where can people find more of you? How can they get connected with you? Find out about your uh, organization. Where can people find you?
0: I think the easiest way is just through Instagram, which is my full name. Um, and that's where we have the majority of our updates. That's where you could catch up with everything that we're doing. We do a lot of uh, business outreach through that and a lot of promotion through that so people could see there. Um, that's just the best way. And I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. I was totally shocked when you sent me a DM. That's uh, shit.
2: Dude, I've been trying like, to get dad, your ass. <laughs> dad, fuck, look <laughs> at
0: He's like, holy shit. He's like, just don't get hit by him. Yeah, right. Well, uh, we
1: didn't want to bring this up, but were you a Giants fan growing up? New York Giants fan? I was a
0: Giants fan growing up. My dad is a Jets fan. Damn. um,
2: How's that work,
0: man? Uh, You know what it was, though? I was more of like a soccer kid growing up. Yeah. You know, I could have played ball. I could have played football. I could fucking throw a ball. Um, But yeah, Giants growing up. Yeah. Not yeah. really much now. Can't be a Giants fan now. No. Well, yeah.
2: pretty, you really can't be a Jets fan, so tell your dad, man. Ever. God bless you. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. We had uh we had Gary V on a few weeks ago and we were just busting his ass about the Jets. <laughs> he and can't it. buy that team. He'd be more on if he buys that team.
0: <laughs> well maybe someone new needs to buy it. And I yeah. know Gary. Someone new needs, but Gary buy the team by the time. Yeah, team. absolutely.
1: Yeah. All right, last question. We ask every guest this. Um if you could go back to any point in your life and just tell yourself one thing, doesn't necessarily mean you go change anything, but if you could just go tell yourself one thing, where do you go and what do you tell yourself?
0: Don't quit that day. hundred percent mm. don't quit that day. That's what I say. Just stick it out. Mm-hmm. Stick it yeah. out.
2: Yep. I thought you were gonna go back to the Corolla, dude. Like <laughs> dude, fuck it. Just pull some, the Corolla up in the front.
1: Just the <laughs> some twenty fours on this thing and ride it out. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> Whatever happened to that thing, by the way?
0: I think my parents sold it when my grandma died. Thank God. Or maybe yeah. I got it stolen. Oh no. man!
1: You need to find that car somehow, some way. You need to find yeah, that. You're car. gonna buy it I back. Have
0: my brother send me that picture. And I'm gonna DM it to you guys. Yeah, yes. yeah send it to me. Like you fucking drove that in South <laughs> Lincoln, dude. Oh my god.
1: Hey, I'll uh, do you one better. I drove a 97 Chevy Malibu all through college. So I, I'm with you. I, dude, I know exactly how you feel.
0: College, but Now I'm like an adult. So. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Good point. Good point. All right, Brian, we know you got to go, man. We so much appreciate if you your time.
0: In New York, anytime Please hit me up. I'd love to take you guys to dinner. Absolutely,
1: uh-huh. Brian. When you're back, when you're in Austin, you're, well, it looks, we'll, 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 well and, and or Dallas. I mean, yeah.
2: That's right. I know you're going to Austin. The next one is in Austin, right?
0: Next one's in Austin. My wife's actually going to Dallas this weekend. Um, and then I'll be in Austin. I'm running New York City Marathons, and then I fly to uh, Austin. I'm there all week, so if you guys are around. Absolutely,
2: you, man. Uh, we'll look you up. And also, when you get to Dallas, man, don't, hey, reach out, brother. Yep. Let's get together.
1: Cool. Thanks, guys. All, all right, man. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate you.